Uh, peace, people, and good morning. Welcome to the Breakfast Show, The Voice of Islam, uh, with uh, Imam Jalis Khan and myself, Ali Ahmed. Uh, the time is uh, three minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 27th of October, 2023. As always, we have a packed uh, program this morning uh, at The Breakfast Show. It is an interactive broadcast. It means that all our listeners have the opportunity to join in any of the discussions that may be taking place during the course of this broadcast. All you need to do is to pick up the phone, dial 0208-687-7878 and share your thoughts with us. Uh, I'll give you the number again, 0208-687-7878. You can also use the more modern method of uh, Twitter or what used to be known as Twitter X now. Uh, and post your thoughts on that platform. Voice of Islam UK is the handle that uh, would uh, be required to be used. Uh, A variety of subjects that we will be discussing today. Um, We'll be uh, going through some of the news stories that have uh, been featuring in the Ahmadi Muslim community and also in the wider media initially. Uh, But then we'll be honing in as per uh, usual to two particular stories that we will uh, deal with in some depth. Uh, and the first of these relates to the season that is fast approaching, uh, that of the start of the winter and uh, Halloween. Um, so what is this really about? Uh, how did it start? Uh, does it really have any religious connections? So we'll be looking at Halloween. Uh, the title of this subject um, is Halloween Delving into the Dark Side of the Spooky Celebration. So that's what we'll be looking at. And uh, we'll be discussing one or two aspects of this with um, uh, Mr. Yusuf Afthab. Yusuf Afthab is the president of our branch in Huddersfield North and the director of disaster relief and fundraising uh, at Humanity First. So uh, we'll be having that discussion later on in the course of the program. If If you're interested in that particular Uh, item, this uh, item on Halloween, then do make a point of remaining tuned in during that period, uh, during that part of the program between 7.30 and 8.15. Moving on to a second main topic, we'll be looking at the crisis that is fast looming upon us, uh, often mentioned, that of uh, environment or involving the environment, and it is climate change. Uh, So hence the topic we'll be addressing uh, in the latter part of the broadcast is uh, this. Uh, The title is Tackling Eco-Anxiety. Let's explore positive climate action carried out this year. So we spoke to Adele Williams earlier about this uh, and we'll be uh, sharing what she had to say um, on an aspect of this issue. Adele helps to to help helps people to have conversations about the climate uh, with uh, elected representatives through uh, the uh, organization Hope for the Future. So that was an interesting discussion we had earlier, and we'll be sharing that uh, with you in that part of the program between 8.15 and 9 o'clock. And together with all this, uh, we'll be sharing the Islamic standpoint uh, on whatever we are addressing. Um, so without further ado, let's go. Uh, and proceed with the show uh, and um, uh, look at the weather with um, Imam Jalis Khan. Assalamu alaikum. 
Walaikum salam. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Um, as for today, northern England and Scotland will be cloudy with spells of rain. Um, elsewhere, any mist will lift with bright spells developing. Showers in the south, um, some of them thundery, and Scotland will be staying breezy. As for tonight, it will be wet and windy in the northeast. The showers will move in from the southwest, some heavy and thundery as well. Southern Scotland and northern England will see clear spells with patchy fog. And as we move on to tomorrow, southern England will see spells of rain, while elsewhere there will be some showers and sunny spells. Later in the afternoon, heavy rain will move into the south, and this will be increasingly windy. Just to look over towards Sunday and Tuesday as well. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. On Sunday, Northern Ireland, most in Scotland and far northern England will see spells of rain and it will be windy in the northern side of Scotland. Elsewhere, sunshine and some showers. On Monday, the north will see cloudy skies and scattered showers. We drier in the south. And on Tuesday, there will be patchy cloud and showers in places. But in the evening, rain will move in from the west. Okay, so typical weather we should expect during this time of year. Yep. Wet and uh, windy. Okay. Um, any Anything uh, that's caught your eye that's uh, been uh, taking place in the Ahmadi Muslim community that you want to share or in the wider uh, world? Yes, absolutely. So last week we had our... Um, so it is uh, the Shura delegation, or, uh-huh. um, so that is the um, mutual um, consultation. Um, and this is where um, those individuals um, that we refer to as delegates are voted in from their local um, communities. Uh-huh. And they present um, issues and matters that they believe that need to be tackled for the coming year. Um, and this uh, this happened last week. This happened Saturday uh-huh. and Sunday. So this uh, is the youth organisation, is it? Yes, absolutely, youth uh-huh. organisation. Okay. I believe the the elders uh, uh-huh. will be having theirs in December. Uh-huh. Um, but yes, this was the youth organisation, and it uh-huh. was um, very good. Mashallah, we had a lot of um, uh, we had a lot of um, uh, workshops as well. Uh, uh-huh. We had a lot of um, speeches and um, presentations as well. Um, and yes, it was it was, it was very right. good. Okay, yeah. excellent. Um, in the uh, wider uh, community, we had um, this news that uh, was reported in the um, BBC website uh, and elsewhere. It's about the use of hotels for migrants, and that's supposed to be ending. At least uh, some of the hotels are going to be taken off the books. Uh, government plans are afoot to reduce and if not stop the use of hotels when accommodating migrants. The latest figures show that uh, 50,000 uh, asylum seekers uh, were being housed in hotels, and that's an increase by 10% mm. of those living there uh, since the end of last year. Mr. Jenrick, who's uh, the government minister responsible for this, uh, said the um, uh, authorities had avoided the use of a further 72 hotels through increased room sharing, and now the government has announced plans to end the use of 50 hotels housing um, asylum seekers by the end of January. The reason there has been pressure on the use of hotels in the first place is because of the number of people entering the UK claiming asylum. That has hit record levels and the uh, cost is high, £8 million a day or £2.9 billion a year. So the question is, where will these people be um, housed if not in hotels? Uh, that's 
may be something that you may ask. Well, apart from doubling up, as mentioned earlier, suggested by Mr. Jenrick, asylum seekers would be accommodated in large sites such as uh, surplus military areas, barges, former student halls of residence and holiday parks to ease the cost of hotels. The move will pacify the right wing of the Tory party and all those who want stronger measures taken against immigration. Critics say that in order to cut down the expense of accommodation, the answer is not to stop using hotels, but to process their claims faster. Currently, some asylum seekers have had to wait literally years to process their claims. Uh, There is sympathy when you look at this uh, particular issue for migrants and asylum seekers uh, for Muslims, since migration has played a significant role in Islamic history when early Muslims were persecuted uh, several families found refuge in Abyssinia, currently Ethiopia. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, himself had to migrate to Medina when he was suffering unbearable persecution in his hometown of Makkah. So while we understand the complexities of the current uh, situation in, in our country, it's underlying intention uh, to give refuge to the persecuted and the uh, destitute and the abandoned and the needy has to be applauded, um, even if it is being uh, somewhat um, curtailed now or given or offered now a, a bit grudgingly. Uh, from a religious standpoint, we would contend that you're never really diminished if you're able to help another in need, but are enhanced instead. If this is understood, then perhaps some of the misgivings people have about asylum seekers will uh, hopefully be will be quelled. The other story um, that um, well has been thrust upon us is regarding uh, the clocks going back. That's going to be happening this weekend, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, although for most of us um, uh, this is met with a light-hearted shrug when it happens. Uh, certain peoples within uh, our communities do find it difficult. Um, Dr. Tim uh, Binlan from the Alzheimer's Society says that uh, it uh, apparently requires uh, making a mental note to change all, all, uh, all your uh, clocks at time. But for people with dementia, uh, he says, it can trigger anxiety, confusion, and irritability, even if it's a, an hour difference. People with dementia may find it difficult to adapt their sleep patterns as winter mornings becoming uh, darker. It could also take longer to regulate their circadian biological clock, circadian rhythms, compared to those without the condition. Uh, as days get shorter, some people with dementia may also experience sundowning, which, so it's not directly to do with um, the clocks going back, but it's just the the fact that uh, winter ushers in shorter days. And the, and uh, during this time, a, period, uh, a person may become very distressed or confused, somebody who is uh, suffering from dementia. So unlike uh, for many of us, those suffering from dementia or are looking after someone who has dementia, the clock change does present uh, a challenge, a difficulty. Uh, Alzheimer's Society says there are steps for those uh, caring for people with the condition. 
um, um, and uh, how they can uh, they can negotiate, uh, they can navigate uh, and minimize disruption to their daily routines. And uh, they're suggesting uh, three or four uh, things. One is keeping to a routine during the day and at bedtime can regulate a disrupted body clock. Uh, this could include keeping meal and exercise uh, times the same each day. Uh, secondly, they're suggesting going outside in the morning as this can help set a person's body clock and can make them sleep here in the evening. This effect can also be created by using a light box. Uh, but uh, getting up uh, early in the morning, going for a walk is a tradition that is uh, we know is adopted by... Uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and also the founder of the community, the Promised Messiah. So I suppose it has other benefits as well, as mentioned by the, uh, suggested by the Alzheimer's Society. And then avoiding sleep disruptors during the day, such as caffeine and napping, I suppose. Uh, that's supposed to be not too good for you, according to this particular um, uh, this particular organization. Research shows that more than 944,000 people in the UK have dementia, with numbers rising uh, because people are living longer. It is estimated that by 2030, there will be more than one million people with uh, condition in the UK. And also today in the news, uh, uh, I think on the BBC, it was reported that uh, people suffering from dementia is going to be doubled uh, by 2040. So it is something that um, is worrying and is uh, certainly... Um, uh, testing the minds of those people um, in the um, caring in the caring professions. Um, have you got anything, Jalees, uh, on anything, uh, any news that has caught your eye? I don't. I no? Don't okay. Um, there is uh, some good news about break, about improving cancer treatment, but I think I covered that last year. But um, on... Uh, uh, the health uh, uh, area. Um, there is this interesting uh, story about coffee. Um, coffee is uh, now increasingly being drunk in the UK. Uh, it used to be the favoured beverage in the United States. Uh, we used to be a, a nation of tea drinkers, uh, but coffee has certainly caught up with the uh, certain outlets that have been established on the high street that sell this beverage. Um, but um, it may not be good for those needing iron supplements. So, uh, now, this story, uh, it was, uh, or should I say this study uh, that referred to this was published in the American Journal of Hematology. Now, this uh, study examined how different drinks affect the absorption of iron supplements, um, and they tested this on 34 iron-deficient women who used to take, who are used to taking uh, supplements, iron supplements. And the research found that when the supplements are taken with a glass of orange juice, uh, then the absorption uh, was almost complete, almost full, uh, whereas taking them with tea or coffee prevented the iron from being absorbed. So if you take iron supplements, uh, you're advised to take it with something like water or, uh, or orange juice and certainly not with coffee. Uh, now, the disparity was stark. Scientists found 
that blood tests showed nearly four times as much absorption with orange juice as with coffee. And the uptake was 54% less compared to water. So the uptake, if you uh, use uh, coffee, is some 54% less than if you just take water. Uh, as to the reason, well, this is uh, uh, as uh, this is because scientists found that uh, chlorogenic acid, chlorogenic acid is a is a chemical found in coffee, and it tends to bind with iron in the gut to prevent it being absorbed. And so the study concluded to maximize iron absorption, oral iron uh, should be consumed in the morning, uh, away from meals um, or coffee and within ascorbic acid-rich food or beverage. So that's the advice that's coming in from scientists, scientists who studied their, um, their findings in American Journal of Hematology. Um, now, staying with health, um, there is also this news about um, the detection of um, uh, bipolar condition. Now, bipolar is a mental condition which... Uh, affects many people of the UK, uh, estimated to be about um, uh, 1% of the population that suffer from this order. Um, and it causes debilitating uh, mood swings. It, it can be quite damaging uh, to the uh, peace of mind of uh, people who are suffering from that and their ability to be uh, productive members in uh, communities. Now, it appears we may be able to spot this through a simple blood test. And this was found to be 90% accurate in identifying the condition, uh, as reported in the Journal of JAMA Psychiatry. Uh, it's important that uh, it's detected this way because um, it is estimated that nearly 40% of sufferers, so nearly half, are misdiagnosed and considered to be severely depressed instead, which can then ha have an impact on treatment. The other advantage is that it is quick, and uh, currently, uh, I mean, if you have a blood test and uh, the markers indicate that you've uh, got bipolar uh, detection, uh, bipolar uh, condition, then um, you have reached the, um, the destination of your diagnosis immediately within, uh, without having to go through long series of uh, uh, other kinds of other means of examination. So it is quick. Um, apparently, it take, can take an average of seven years to diagnose this condition otherwise. So a blood test uh, being quicker may, can enable uh, the um, addressing the condition through uh, medical means a lot, lot quicker, and people can um, be given or their peace of mind can be restored. Uh, as a result. Um, w another story that is in news, not to do with health, but I suppose uh, a different aspect of our um, lives, is uh, this um, concern over the news that bankers' bonuses are going to be scrapped. Uh, many people consider bankers to be overpaid and undeserving of vast sums that uh, they are reputed to earn. Uh, this was especially so after the financial crisis of 2008, uh, which was largely uh, caused by the, well, allegedly incompetence of the banking industry. 
I say allegedly, many people feel that there's no allegedly about it. It was uh, um, quite definitely caused by, by, by the banking industry. Some would not perhaps go as far as saying incompetence. But anyway, among the issues that has uh, caused resentment is the amount of bonuses that bankers are able to vote in for themselves. In order to curtail an abuse of the system since 2014, bonuses were limited for employers to just two times base salary. And the intention was to deter bankers from the type of risky behavior that caused the 2008 financial uh, crisis and, uh, well, accusations of incompetence that I mentioned earlier. Um, now, the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority have decided to get rid of the cap, and from and this is going to be from the end of this month, so in a few days' times. And the regulator said that they approved the change uh, because it will strengthen the effectiveness of the remuneration regime. That's a quote. Um, and it will allow banks to increase how much of their staff's pay is linked to performance. The changes should also help uh, remove unintended consequences of the cap. That's also something uh, that they said. That's also a quote. Um, and um, in this way, they're suggesting that, le- uh, that bankers, having had to increase base pay for workers, uh, would ensure that they don't lose out because of the policy. Now, according to the Times, this was uh, a couple, no, yesterday or two days ago, um, London-based first-year analysts who are at the bottom of the rung at investment banks were paid an average of £96,000 this year, uh, including 67000 base salary and a bonus of 29000 uh, Associates uh, earning... Um, associates earning... Well, associates earned average package of 154000 with 95000 in base pay and 58000 in bonus. Um, so this is just uh, at the bottom rung of the banking industry that uh, these kind of uh, sums are being uh, striking when you may th- when you think about it. A consultant, by contrast, um, a consultant in NHS uh, after so much education and training only earns a basis uh, a base of between ninety three and uh, and twenty six thousand. Uh, calls into question whether we as a society are remunerating the right kinds of professions appropriately. Uh, Shouldn't those in uh, caring professions be rewarded much more than those in materialistic sectors? Uh, Does our current socioeconomic position reflect where the emphasis of present societies reside in money and materialism and those who can further or drive towards that aim rather than the more altruistic objectives of uh, life of compassion, care, sensitivities, food for thought. Um, in healthcare is deemed a service to patients and uh, from an Islamic um, angle, um, uh, it is a profession uh, that um, is different to one that is com- commercial. Um, this ethos was the fundamental motivating factor for the majority of the doctors and nurses in the history in the history of Islam, that it was a profession that was um, serving humanity um, in a di- in a direct way, and uh, that was fulfilling one of the objectives of um, what Islam teaches: that of um, one's um, uh, responsibilities towards one's uh, fellow man. 
the other responsibility, of course, is to God and uh, worship. Um, what is disconcerting um, with this particular measure uh, in the current economic uh, situation is that the government is refusing to raise the wages of most uh, uh, in the public uh, sector, uh, including doctors and consultants and nurses and teachers, because it says that by increasing such uh, wages it is going to fuel inflation. Uh, yet uh, the government seems to be content in removing the bonus cap on bank- bankers that will push up their wages. Uh, and wouldn't that inf- uh, fuel inflation, one may ask. So there is this, this concern, this angst that is being expressed in certain uh, circles. If you have a view on this, then please do uh, do let us know. The number is 208 And it's just a couple of minutes to go, so that means that there is another story that we can perhaps share with you. This is about incinerators. And uh, in case you didn't know, a lot of our rubbish, uh, some 40% of uh, it, is actually burnt or incinerated in incinerators. The target, uh, and this is also links to the um, climate uh, question that uh, we will be discussing later on. The target is to increase this uh, to 65% by 2035. So we should be able to incinerate a lot more of our rubbish. That is at least what the aim is. This means that we will need more incinerators. But in view of global warming, these need to capture their carbon emissions. So you can have incinerators, but uh, no good having them and uh, polluting the environment because that's just going to exacerbate the concern that we have about climate change. Now, this week, the National Infrastructure Commission has called for a ban on future facilities that are not equipped with carbon capture and storage, uh, CCS, CCS technology for short. The advisory body also said that recycling more and burning less would help Britain to reach net zero. Incinerators accounted for about 25% of the waste sector's carbon emissions in 2021. So as far as how much uh, it was polluting the air, is just 25%, uh, and uh, 1.4% of the total uh, emissions in the UK. So it's a fraction. The Commission believes that meeting the net zero goal will require not just a ban on new incinerators without carbon capture, but also a reduction in the waste treated new, uh, which uh, now which should fall by about 25% by 2035 and about uh, 80% by 2050. Caring for the environment um, is important and the current crisis that is facing the world with global warning, many argue, is our disrespect, our abuse of the environment uh, we live in and in exceeding all bounds when exploiting for uh, our use, or exploiting it for our use, something that the Holy Quran piece uh, has emphatically told us not to do. There are verses in the Holy Quran that tells us and instructs us not to increase or to exceed bounds. Now, if that uh, injunction is being violated, this is the kind of trouble that we find ourselves in, where uh, global warming is uh, causing the temperatures to increase, uh, ice caps to melt, 
uh, and uh, wreaking, well, that's what the prediction is, wreaking havoc uh, in in the world. So uh, it's better, uh, so much uh, better that uh, we take heed of that particular chronic injunction and uh, save uh, our planet from the catastrophe, catastrophe that is looming uh, before it. So that concludes this uh, part of the program where we are looking at news stories uh, in the wider media, in the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, we do have to now move on and discuss the, um, or address, should I say, address the first of our main stories. This is about Halloween, delving into the dark side of the uh, spooky celebration. Uh, we will be speaking to uh, Yusuf of Thab shortly. Uh, I hope uh, we, he can be put through uh, uh, by our technical uh, staff. But uh, before uh, that is done, uh, just let's just address this particular story and what it has to offer. It's uh, well, uh, the basis is that as this uh, particular time of year approaches Halloween, uh, the the majority anticipate a day filled with harmless fun pumpkins and poltergeists uh, or poltergeists. However, uh, could there be a darker aspect to this widely loved celebration? So in this uh, particular part of the program, we will now explore the historical origins of the day as well as some unexpected health hazards and other concerns associated with this uh, celebration. So... um, as far as the historical context behind Halloween, Halloween is believed to originate from uh, the um, early pagan holiday of uh, Samhain uh, or Sohin. Uh, Sohin. Now, this can celebrated the new year on uh, November the 1st, and this day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark and cold winter. This was a time of year that was often associated with death. It was their belief that on the right night before the new year, the boundary between the living world and the dead was at its thinnest. And that day was known as Samhain, uh, when it was thought that ghosts turned to the earth, or should I say ghosts returned to the earth. It is believed that the Celts celebrated in costumes as a disguise against ghosts and lit jack or, or lanterns as a means to ward away evil spirits. Uh, when the Christians came to Ireland, the traditions were Christianized. And in the 8th century, Pope Gregory uh, III designated November the 1st as All Saints Day. This day came uh, to incorporate some traditions of previously existing celebration, um, sowing, and the evening uh, before was known as uh, All Hallows' Eve and later Halloween. Halloween originates from uh, old Irish pagan practices and is based on concepts belonging to witches, um, um, concepts which uh, trample upon religion and sanctity realms. No matter how much fun it may be considered, its uh, very basis is wrong and includes shirk. Shirk is... um, uh, an Arabic term, it means associating partners with God. Because its basic concept is that on the 31st October, the boundaries between the living and, and the dead are removed, and the dead come back to cause harm to the uh, to the living. 
so the message of uh, Halloween is thus of existence of witches, evil spirits, and satanic worship. It is extremely r- wrong uh, to cons- to believe in things that are supernatural, even if it is for fun. Um, we have um, told, uh, oh, we had uh, Mr. Uh, Yusuf Thab on the line. At least that's what my screen was showing. But I think that uh, light has gone off, so it means that uh, that connection is dropped. So we can uh, talk more about what um, th- this uh, these findings are about uh, Halloween. Um, Halloween ranks um, as the top day of the year for children, uh, for child pedestrian accidents and fatalities in the U.S., so there are dangers associated with it. Um, several factors contribute to this increase. Uh, children are often out in the dark uh, wearing costumes and may hinder peripheral vision and hearing. They tend to be excited and distracted, leading them to take shortcuts rather than safest routes when crossing streets. But my light is back on, which means that uh, Mr. Yusuf Athab is uh, with us. Now, Mr. Yusuf Athab, while we're trying to uh, uh, ensure the connection is uh, secure, uh, is the uh, president of... uh, our branch in Huddersfield North and the Director of Disaster Relief and Fundraising at Humanity First UK. Uh, Asalaamu Alaikum and thank you very much for joining us on The Breakfast Show, Yusuf. Wa Alaikum Asalaam. It's nice to join you and I hope you're all well. Thank you very much. We are. Thank you. Um, and now we're discussing Halloween. Now, what impact could ha- celebrating Halloween have on children? I think it can have a <coughs> profound uh, impact um, two ways, because number one, I think um, you know, kids generally when they see other kids going out and doing trick or treating, dressing up in costumes and so forth, they think it's normal part of society to be able to do these type of things, and sometimes mischievous behaviour can occur, um, but they don't understand the fundamental reasons of what Halloween is, and I think as you were describing earlier in terms of the history of Halloween and, and it's sort of felt uh, background down on um, why Halloween is celebrated and, and, you know, it's been called All Hallows' Eve and people traditionally thinking of a paganistic uh, way of thinking, a polytheistic way of, uh, of, you know, like ghosts and ghouls and seeing things in movies and, and think it's a, it's, it's a good, nice thing to do. So, so I think, you know, schools push it, society pushes it, and a lot is invested in it, but... Um, the actual facts are not known about uh, Halloween itself. And it can be quite detrimental in terms of uh, some of the things that people get up to. Mm. Now, what negative consequences may, do you think there are uh, to society as a whole? Uh, so you, was, you repeat your question, you say what's the negative impact to society? Yeah, so, you know, what do you think um, are the negative um, the consequences of Halloween as a whole to society. We, we've talked about the damage, uh, we can call it damage to children, but what about society as a whole? Yeah, I said, look, a lot of money money invested on this, uh, on, on the 31st of October, sometimes the 1st of November, um, and uh, the amount of money that invested in costumes, trick-or-treating, or generally, some, you know, now houses, if you see, you know, just like Christmas and so forth, they're, they're putting a lot of effort to decorate things up. 
And um, with how society is out of the way and the cost of living and other things, it, it has a big, massive detrimental impact, not only from an economic perspective, but from a sustainability wastage and uh, uh, climate side of things. So um, th- these are lots of factors across the world, not just in the UK, but you know, millions and millions or sometimes billions can be spent on this, especially in the US, where, it, where you can utilise this money fundamentally to help... Uh, you know, people that are homeless, uh, you know, uh, people that go to food banks and, and, and are need in terms of from an economic perspective. So I think, you know, the money could be utilised in a better way for society. Mm-hmm. Um, my colleague Jalees is uh, with us, um, Imam Jalees. Um, um, is it all right if he asks a couple of questions? Yeah, yeah, it? go yeah. for it, please. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Yusuf Sahib. May the peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, we really appreciate it. Um, I would like to pose this question to you. Why do Muslims refrain from taking part in Halloween? So, you know, our Imam and uh, head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Worldwide Muslim Treaty, Hazrat Mizam Masood Ahmed, has outlined the fundamental uh, issues around, um, you know, Halloween and, and the reason why it's celebrated. And, um, you know, he's also gone into the traditions of uh, what has been stated uh, about these type of uh, rituals that sometimes people, which can be harmful innovations, can lead to sort of, you know, shirk and introducing of this concept of, you know, associating partners with uh, with Allah. And um, we just got to be mindful that uh, children understand this. And especially, you know, Ahmadi Muslims uh, have been advised and admonished around the importance of right from wrong and not getting involved in these sort of modern day rituals and being caught up by the harmful effects of it. So can, it, can you imagine if you're going to trick and, trick and treating, you know, what, what are you doing there? What are you teaching the children there in terms of um, misleading, lying, um, maybe throwing, you know, like sometimes kids come and throw eggs at, on people's doors or they may mess around and vandalize things. So these are all things that morally impact a person's uh, moral compass in terms of doing the right thing. So we've got to just be mindful of these type, mindful of these type of things. And I'll just take you back to something that Hazuri um, Azam uh, 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 had mentioned on the 29th of October um, 2010. He said it's against the dignity of an Ahmadi child to dress up in a strange manner and go door to door like beggars. Even it is for chocolates. <clears throat> so one must remember that Halloween doesn't just stop out dressing up like a little while. Uh, especially older children deliberately go out of their way to scare people, cause trouble, noise, and sometimes cause terror for a night of fun. For a religion that preaches peace, it would be wrong to participate in such activities. And as it further on goes and said that the practice of Halloween is a hidden evil. Sometimes it could be a difficult to explain this to our peers when asked why we do not celebrate Halloween. But it is important to remember why we do not celebrate it and to explain this to our peers in a loving manner. And Amadi should have a dignity which should be inculcated from childhood. Masha, thank you so much. Um, I also have another question, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, please. Um, So do you believe excessive spending is an issue surrounding Halloween? Yes, you know, except, uh, you know, the, the money can be utilised, as I said earlier, on a more effective means 
in terms of, um, you know, we see the hardships that are going on in society. Just Let's just take, for example, you know, within the UK, the number of uh, food banks that have come up in terms of the difficulty when one child cannot get a, even a single square meal, right? And, and their main meal is coming from the school. So if you can invest in the economy, you can invest in these areas rather than spending it on one night of joy and mischievous behavior, then why wouldn't you utilize it in a better way? And I just mentioned something um, from a psychologist called Dr. Lawrence Ross. He says, as Halloween draws near, many parents wonder whether allowing their children to watch horror movies can be harmful for them. It's true that many children and adolescents are drawn to horror movies, and it's all equally true that many of these same children may experience negative impacts and, and troubles of going to sleep, nightmares, and so forth. So if you think that these type of things could impact the mental well-being of children, where mental health has also been massively impacted, especially in young children, if then you have to invest money further into taking care and, and the NHS and so forth has to do more things in regards to this, then why spend money in futile things to have an impact negatively on one's well-being physically and mentally? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, um, yes. Um, I just want to explore a bit, if you may, uh, uh, Mr. Afthab, your yeah. uh, role as um, Director of Disaster Relief and Fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you touched upon the fact that um, rather than waste money on these kind of trivial activities uh, in Halloween, it would be, be, you know, it would be better served that time and uh, money is expended in more purposeful. Uh, uh, objectives and that uh, relates to the kind of work that you're doing. What kind of difficulties are you finding in uh, fundraising uh, currently in the cost of living crisis phase that we the country is going through? Yeah, very very good question. Um, I think at the moment all charities and NGOs like ourselves in terms of Humanity First struggle in in uh, um, providing the assistance and help that you in the in the best way that can be done. However, you know we inherently, as Muslims, are also advised to give in charity and support. And therefore, through the Ahmadi Muslim community, there's a large amount of people that, uh, on a voluntary basis, donate so that we can keep up the good work. And and just for example, in the UK. You know, we have a couple of food banks um, that through externals and internals that we're able to replenish our stocks and be able to provide to people that are really in need at the moment. And as, mm-hmm. as the winter periods are coming in, this will get harsher and more and more support is needed. We also do befriending services for the elderly and for anybody that needs psychosocial support. And as you can imagine, that's quite resource intensive and, and can be labor intensive and, and funding is required for these things. But more further afield in terms of the disasters that we've been responding for over the last 25 years, within, you know, whether it's the floods within this country that we've seen um, and recently with the flood Babitad, so that's been hitting everywhere uh, across the board. You know, we, we try and respond and support and families there, but also the situations that you may see in the Middle East and other countries where we respond and to be able to provide uh, medical aid, 
food, sanitation, you know, uh, other healthcare requirements. Um, so to be able to do this and to be able to sustain that, you know, we, we need the support of uh, volunteers. So volunteers are listening to this uh, radio station, volunteers far afield to be able to donate on a regular basis mm. to allow us to do the good work that goes on. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned food banks. There are two food banks. They're run by volunteers, are they? Absolutely. They're mm-hmm. all run by volunteers. And we're very, very lucky that we have external volunteers in our World Soul Food Bank and also in Yorkshire and Murfield. And people come up and give their time to you know, either bring stock, replenish the shelves, um, run, run the building, and then go out and do deliveries and support families that uh, are needed when we get this in. Mm-hmm. Are you planning to open more uh, food banks? I'm sure there's the plan a need. Is, mm-hmm. as, you, as you can imagine, there's, th- uh, there's hundreds and hundreds of food banks popping up around the UK, and uh, we are looking at a variety of different options to open up more stalls. However, where we don't have them, we have a network of uh, volunteers um, externally and through the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association, so the youth wing, the ladies wing, and, and the elders that give us a lot of support to be able to go out and uh, provide uh, supplies of food to people, clothes, and necessities that are needed. Mm-hmm. So you find uh, uh, youth and youngsters of the Ambimus community expending their energies in uh, trying to uh, alleviate other people's suffering rather than going around uh, in Halloween costumes. You think Absolutely, that's, and, mm-hmm. and, and that's the beauty of our inherent beauty of our community where youngsters... Uh, ladies and men are going out and supporting and giving up their time on a voluntary basis to uh, provide people uh, assistance. Mm. How do you see the future? Do you think that um, things are going to get better or do you think uh, they're going to get worse before they get better? Well, with my optimistic heart on, you you always think that, uh, inshallah, things will get better and go in the right direction. But as we see currently, we are interest rates, inflation, and uh, as things go up, it, families are being hit hard. Um, cost of living rise in terms of food, fuel, um, you know, bills, mm. utilities, etc., are quite high. So, you know, food banks, like I said, have massively increased in the last few years, and it's a lifeline for some people. Mm. And if you hear of some of the horrific stories that, uh, you know, people are not being able to afford food and they're making um, real life decisions about, you know, to keep the heating on or to have something for their kids or for themselves or parents are going without eating and providing for their children. Food banks then become a lifeline for these people to come across to be able to get something and, uh, you know, provide something for their children so that they can sustain them. Mm, Nice. Wonderful work you're doing. Uh, I wish you all the best in the future and... uh I hope you continue in this uh, in this particular vein with uh, great success. Thank you very much for coming on, uh, Mr. Fathal. Thank you very much for uh, sharing your thoughts with us. No problem. Thank you for having me on. Wonderful. And I uh, hope you rest a good day. Okay. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Salaam Right. So that was uh, Mr. Yusuf Fathal. He is the uh, president of a branch in Huddersfield North and the Director of Disaster Relief and Fundraising at Humanity First, the charity that is uh, of, you know, of the Ambi Muslim community. Uh, we were talking about uh, earlier, before uh, we started speaking to uh, Mr. Afdab, uh, this uh, point about um, uh, 
uh, Halloween and the hazards that are associated with it. Um, a significant uh, uh, of these, the average, averages, um, sorry, the significant number of fatalities apparently occur um, during this period. Um, and this is attributed um, to um, lack of attention. Now, according to analysis from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's fatality uh, reporting system, there were 115 child pedestrian fatalities on Halloween from 1990 to 2010, so a span of 20 years. Uh, this averages 5.5 child fatalities per year on Halloween, which is more than double the average, which is 2.6 fatalities on other days of the year. So it's almost double. Uh, the age group uh, uh, most at risk is 12 to 18 year olds. Um, now, significant uh, 60% of these fatalities occur during the peak uh, trick, uh, trick or treating hours between 5 and 9 p.m., with the deadliest hour being from 6 to 7. Um, Halloween decorations also pose risk with the uh, National Fire Protection Association reporting an average of 920 home structure fires ignited by decorations per year from 2007 to 2011 in the United States. These fires resulted in an estimated average of 6 civilian deaths, 47 civilian injuries, and $12.9 million in direct property damage annually. Pumpkin carving is uh, the number one Halloween-related injury annually as per the United States Consumer Product um, uh, Safety Commission's uh, uh, research. Uh, among uh, roughly 4,500 Halloween-related injuries reported between October and November in 2017, 41% were attributed to pumpkin uh, carving. Uh, property crime encompasses acts like vandalism, but in 60% of these cases, it involves theft from homes, which may involve breaking an entry whether you are present or not. Many sweets given out uh, during Halloween contain the most uh, common allergens and small treats, and also they have the risk of acting as a choking hazard. Um, so uh, other aspects, I suppose, um, that can be repeated is uh, as far as uh, Muslims are concerned, um, they are recommended to stay away from everything that is uh, vain or fruitless. Uh, in fact, obliged to stay from everything that is vain or meaningless. Uh, Allah has said that one of the attributes of the believers is that they are those who shun all that which is vain. Uh, this is uh, uh, part of uh, one verse of the Holy Quran that mentions it. It's also important to know that Halloween emerged from pagan beliefs. And on this night, the veil between the worlds, as I mentioned before, the living and the dead, uh, is so thin that the souls of the dead return to the world. It's superstition, more, uh, nothing more than that. Um, Allah has decreed that no one can return to this world after his or her death. So that particular aspect of Halloween, that particular belief of Halloween, is in conflict with what uh, in the Quran and what Islam teaches. Um, it is an inviolable law for a township which we have destroyed that they shall not, that they shall not return. This is also uh, a verse in the Holy Quran. Um, and there are other aspects of um, the scripture that we can mention. Um, there is, uh, of course, a link between Halloween and consumerism. Like so many of these uh, 
festivals and these uh, celebrations that we hold, like Christmas and Easter, the, a small, a, sh- a very strong element of uh, consumerism uh, is allowed to creep in. Um, and it is Halloween, when it comes to Halloween, is one of the most uh, consumerist holidays. It is, it is driven by the need to purchase unnecessary items, such as plastic decorations and costumes. Uh, according to one particular commentator, Dr. Uh, Rungpaka Amy Hackley, uh, she is the uh, senior lecturer at the Birkbeck uh, Business School. Uh, and uh, the um, professor says, or the lecturer says, and I quote, Halloween consumption is on a rising trend. UK consumers are spending more than twice as much money on Halloween as we did in 2013, and an estimated 25% of all of us all buy a pumpkin at a cost of around 30, 30 million uh, pounds. Uh, so that's a, not something that each of one spends, I'm sure. It's something that we collectively spend 30 million pounds on uh, on pumpkins. Uh, the popularity of Halloween in the UK has risen Im- immeasurably over the years. Uh, this also means that spending on the celebration has increased. In 2001, the UK spending on Halloween was only £12 million. Last year, statistics shows uh, that this rose to £687 million. In the United States, Halloween spending was around £8.6 billion in 2021. Generally, Halloween costumes are produced from cheap synthetic materials. This has bad impacts on the environment. Uh, so there's an environment component to this. It estimated that 2,000 tons of plastic waste was generated by discarded Halloween clothing alone. Um, food, waste is, uh, food waste is also a significant issue. Around 12 million pumpney, pumpkins go uneaten each year in the UK, according to The Guardian. A large amount of sweets children receive also go uneaten. Sweets are normally plastic wrapped, which again have negative impacts on the environment. Um, so a lot of um, negative uh, aspects that can be associated with Halloween, and um, that's why it should uh, be shunned. Many, um, um, His Holiness has said that uh, it should always be remembered that any fun that is based on shirk associating partners with God or any harmful way is to be avoided. Um, food as far as its consumption is concerned, Muslims are asked not to waste any food. So again, there's a lot of wastage that is associated in terms of food with Halloween. So I think a lot more can be said about this. Um, We may be able to uh, carry on with uh, this uh, later on in the course of the show. And um, um, maybe uh, Imam Jalis will have something to say from an uh, Islamic angle, something more to say from an Islamic angle after the news. But I just want to share um, this uh, audio clip uh, about uh, the celebration of Halloween. But then again, I think that is something that we can perhaps address after the uh, 8 o'clock news. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. 
Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the breakfast show, the voice of Salaam with uh, Imam Jalis Khan Ahmed. The time is two minutes past eight. It's Friday, the 27th of October, 2023. We were discussing before the break the issue, the subject of Halloween, and how it is it rankles with uh, Muslim belief because it is uh, something uh, that is a celebration associated with uh, a lot of superstition and uh, the underlying uh, angst about it as far as Muslims are concerned is that it uh, is very much based on associating partners with God, something that is an anathema for for Muslims. Um, So we uh, did look at it from various angles. Uh, We will be looking at it from more uh, for religious angles shortly. But before we do that, um, I also want to share um, a clip of um, what was said regarding this uh, by his holiness areas. Halloween originates from old Irish pagan practices and is based on concepts belonging to witches, concepts which trample upon religion and sanctity of homes. No matter how much fun it may be considered, its very basic is wrong and it includes shirk. Because its basic concept is that on 31st of October the boundaries between the living and the dead are removed and the dead come back to cause harm to the living. In order to avoid being harmed about which many nonsensical things are said, so-called magicians are called in who take animals and crops from people and sacrifice them in a specific way. The special costumes and masks are also worn to scare. Christianity adopted this ritual in particular the Catholic Church. Due to Christianity and also the media, Halloween spread all over the world, in particular in the West. This practice is a hidden evil. Muslims in the West are also adopting it. Children dress up in costumes and go from door to door asking for something to bring comfort to spirits. The notion is that if a household gives something to the costume-clad children, the dead would not harm the household. Indeed, it is all considered good fun, but the idea behind it is all based on shirk. It is against the dignity of an Ahmadi child to dress up in a strange manner and go door to door like beggars, even if it is just for chocolates. Ahmadis should have a dignity which should be inculcated from childhood. The message of Halloween is thus of existence of witches, evil spirits and satanic worship. It is extremely wrong to believe in things that are supernatural, even if it is for fun. For this reason, our children should strictly avoid them. Until recently, village folk used to give something to the children in the belief that it would save them from spirits. Such practices also embolden children to do wrong in the name of fun. Bad manners towards grown-ups are being com- becoming common. In the West, every evil is allowed in the name of fun and in the name of children's rights. However, Voices against Halloween are now being raised here as well, and it is being said that it encourages children to frighten people and to commit crime. For us, the biggest matter is the bringing of dead spirits, as if equal to God and thus committing shirk. Gifts are meant to please the spirits. It is a most absurd and nonsensical concept. I advise Ahmadis to avoid this and instead to increase their connection with God. So that was a clip uh, that we shared, which uh, is expressing the the, uh, the issue of Halloween uh, and uh, from a Muslim perspective, and it incorporates uh, the guidance given by His Holiness, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. And more on uh, the religious aspect of this particular subject, we have uh, Imam Jalis 
uh, here uh, to share that with us. Thank you very much. Over Thank to you. you. Thank you so much. Um, I would like to emphasise and really focus on this um, one phrase that um, our beloved Huzur, uh, the supreme leader of the Ahmadi Muslim community, Hazrat Mizam Sur Ahmad, may Allah strengthen his hand, has said, and he has said that this is a hidden evil, and this is a very um, this is a very this is a phrase that has a lot of wisdom in it. But Valid Sab, you have also mentioned a lot of um, um, evils that take place during this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've mentioned increase in crime, mm-hmm. um, specifically talking about. Um, uh, if you're talking about uh, America, um, in, in general, crime does go up everywhere during this time of the year. Um, but um, if you can imagine, on the October the 31st, 50% increase in uh, violent crime. And this is higher than any other date. Mm. Um, if you look further, um, drinking is also increased during this time of the year. And this was actually a study done by the Health Communication in 2020 um, uh, by this uh, Michigan State University. And they say that Halloween engulfs behaviour that promotes drinking. And this increases health and public safety risks. So overall, uh, we see um, this, this um, as, as Hazur has beautifully mentioned, that in the name of fun, we see a lot of, um, um, we see an increase in crime, increase in drinking. It's a hidden evil. This is, this is beautifully put. Um, in general, we see that um, uh, the decorations that are put up, as you mentioned, um, it, it, it is first of all vain, absolutely, yes. But if you see the long-lasting impact on children, uh, where they see a lot of blood and a lot of gory, explicit images, this has a long-lasting effect on children. Um, so overall, in terms of society, it's not the, not the greatest, again, as I, as I continuously emphasise, it is a hidden evil. Um, now, if we turn towards, um, obviously, the religious aspect, the Islamic aspect, I would like to... F- F- further delve into um, this this celebration, um, formerly known as Sawim. Um as as you as you mentioned, it is a Celtic festival, it's a pagan festival. Pagan paganism or pagan beliefs are are um, are are generally known as those beliefs that are non are associated with um, non Abrahamic religions. So we see that not, um, the Abrahamic religions are Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So um, paganism or uh, pagan paganistic beliefs are those that are not associated with these religions, and uh, what we see that the, the, the Celts in in that time in the olden days, what they would do is the Druids, um, is that the this is the time of the year where the Celts anticipated communion or some sort of communication with the dead or the spirits, and um, this uh, the, this process involved um, using candles and cauldrons, incense, and you know some cyto- some sort of a incantation, some sort of ritual. And what this did was, the dead answer- ancestors would guide them about the forthcoming new year, so they would seek help and seek guidance from these spirits, these uh, these these um, obviously these uh, these ghouls and spirits. They would seek gu- uh, help from them. Now, if you look at the the Holy Quran and what it says about associating partners with God Almighty, as you have also also mentioned, um, the Holy Quran um, states, "Surely Allah will not forgive that any partner be associated with Him, but He will forgive whatever is short of that to whomsoever He pleases, and whoso associates partners with Allah has indeed devised a very great sin." Mm-hmm. In Islam. 
uh, associating partners with a God Almighty is the gravest, is the greatest sin. Um, again, something that has already been mentioned um, in the Holy Quran, uh, there's a guide of, um, so there's, there's a chapter in the Holy Quran um, referred to as the believers, Surah Al-Mu'minun. And um, in this chapter, um, we see a guideline or the expectations of God Almighty that he has of believers. And he has said specifically regarding believers that they are those who shun all that which is vain. And this activity, this this this, this uh, the, um, Halloween is definitely something that is vain. It is, is done out of pure, um, it is an innovation, if anything. And uh, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, we, we, we can see that. It's also worth mentioning that this 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 type of um, celebration is not found anywhere in the Bible as well. And uh, Jesus, Hazrat uh, Jesus has not um, taught this as well. It's not, it's not, not part of his teaching either. We further go on. Um, and I would just like to just overall mention that Halloween emerged from pagan beliefs, as we have already mentioned. Um, and that the, the night... Um, this is the night where the veil between worlds of the living and dead is so thin that the souls of the dead can return to the world. But this is against the teaching of Islam. We see the narration between, or the, the communication or the conversation between um, the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and his companion, Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah. And this is the time um, after um, the Battle of Ohud, where um, Hazrat Jabir bin Abdullah's father had been martyred. And this is where the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, asked him, okay, why are you so upset? Why are you heartbroken? And he said that my father has been martyred. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, told him something very, very beautiful. He said that okay, God Almighty spoke to your father directly. And he said that, his, sorry, his father, he, his father actually mentioned to God Almighty, that, okay, please let me return to the world so I, can, so, I can, so I can be martyred in the way of Allah once again in your, in, in your, in your way. And God Almighty said that it, is, it, it has been decreed that you, that, that, that you have been passed away. You cannot return. And this is, this, is, this is the practice of God Almighty. No one can return back after they have passed away. Um, I'd like to just finish off by um, quoting His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Musur Ahmad. Um, um, he, say, he states regarding Halloween, that the ritual of Halloween, which is now considered fun by people, is based on satanic ideas and polytheistic beliefs and is a hidden evil. A true Muslim and especially an Ahmadi should always remember that one must safeguard against anything which is based on shirk, which is associating partners with Allah, with God Almighty, even if it is done for enjoyment because such rituals take a person away from religion. Moreover, it is also against the dignity of an Ahmadi child to go begging, as beggars do, around people's houses on the occasion of this festival in the name of entertainment. An Ahmadi has a certain distinction which we should inculcate in the minds of children from childhood. Thus, no Ahmadi is permitted to participate in the ritual of Halloween, neither by dressing up as a ghost nor as a witch or a fairy, because this ritual is based on false and polytheistic beliefs. Zakala. Thank you very much for that. Um, I think it uh, brings us nicely to um, uh, the conclusion of this particular part of the program. Um, this is uh, one where we were discussing Halloween uh, in the background and why it is shunned uh, and ought to be shunned by, by Muslims. Um, the underlying reason being that it is based on 
supervision, superstition associating partners with God and vain pursuits uh, that is being engaged in uh, when it is being celebrated. Um, so we now uh, have the opportunity to uh, look at the second of our main uh, points or main subjects. Uh, and uh, this is uh, regarding uh, the environment um, and tackling eco-anxiety in particular. Uh, let's explore positive climate action carried out this year. So this is the subject. Um, and uh, I suppose the um, gist of the story is that um, in recent years, uh, there has been uh, a necessary rise. Some say unnecessary, but anyway. In, uh, uh, but uh, the majority of people believe in the uh, climate crisis and uh, the environmental crisis and the need uh, in discussions about uh, climate change uh, and to raise the awareness to look for more ways in which this issue can be tackled. Um, our efforts, nevertheless, uh, can often uh, feel hopeless, and many have reported feeling climate anxiety. So in this particular part of the program, we will explore positive uh, climate um, action carried out at an international level, as well as more local action, and what we can do to help solve the issue at an individual level. Now, the uh, salient points about this particular topic can be enumerated thus that they, uh, there are uh, a few examples of um, positive climate change uh, that uh, have been carried out this year. A report has shown that the use of fossil fuels for energy production in the EU reached an all-time low during the initial half of 2023. So that's uh, something that's very welcome uh, because within this period, the 27 member uh, states witnessed a 17% reduction in the consumption of fossil fuels for um, electricity generation compared to the same period in 2022. And the research conducted by Ember revealed that fossil fuels accounted for only 33% of the electricity generated between January and June, making the smallest contribution to the EU's energy mix to date. Uh, deforestation in the Amazon rainforest dropped uh, by 68% in April 2023 compared to April 2022, uh, maybe uh, due to um, the change in government there. Overall, during the first six months of President uh, Luis Lula da, da Silva's term, uh, deforestation was uh, has dropped by a third, according to government satellite data. Uh, deforestation from January to June uh, covered 2,600 square kilometres for far less than last year's 4,000 uh, square kilometres during the same period. Um, in Switzerland, the uh, public has voted in favour of a new climate law which aims for the country's net gas emissions to reach zero by 2050. Um, on June 18th, uh, the uh, government's, um, uh, government's climate uh, protection targets, uh, innovation and energy security received um, approval from a majority of 59% of voters. 
and uh, solar and wind energy are increasingly used. In April, wind and solar energy produced more than half of Portugal's electricity for the uh, first time, according to data from the think tank Ember. Renewable sources accounted for 51% of electricity uh, production. So everything uh, moving in the right direction in this respect. In February this year, more than a quarter of Sweden's electricity, 27%, was produced from wind and solar energy, an all-time high. In Finland, also a record of 29% of electricity was generated from wind and solar energy in April. Um, now, the Netherlands and the UK have made a plan uh, to construct the largest cross-border electricity transmission line in Europe, aimed at delivering renewable energy and enhancing energy resilience. The Lion Link interconnector will uh, able to transfer 1.8 gigawatts of electricity, which is enough to power 1.8 million households and would be attached to an offshore wind farm. Scotland has become the first country to ban the anesthetic uh, desflurane due to its impact on the climate. Uh, The gas is used to put patients to sleep safely during surgery, and according to the UK's uh, National Health Service, um, has global warming potential 2,500 times greater than carbon dioxide. Other uh, hospitals in the UK have also taken the initiative to prevent its usage, and NHS England plans to stop using this fluorine uh, completely by early 2024, except in exceptional circumstances. A quarter of British homes sit above the cold uh, mining uh, the old mining uh, tunnels. A project by Gateshead has taken advantage of this and is using repurposing uh, them as a way to deliver hot water and heat to hundreds of homes and businesses. Uh, we did speak to uh, Adele earlier, who is engaged in uh, in, uh, in pr- not pressurizing, but in um, persuading those people in authority about uh, uh, taking measures to uh, arrest the damage that we're doing to the environment. Uh, but unfortunately, I hope... Uh, my um, uh, technician is listening that uh, this doesn't seem to be on the screen so if that can be put on the screen I'll be grateful and that particular interview that we had because we want to share the thoughts of Adele Williams who uh, has been working in this particular uh, in this particular area anyway as we move on um, as far as uh, actions are concerned uh, that we can take uh, individually that are more uh, environmentally friendly. Well, this can be said, that, that to, ca- to tackle the feeling of helplessness, there are some ways we can benefit the environment. Uh, and it may seem as though it has little benefit, but collective action, if enough number of people do this, then uh, it will have a significant uh, uh, change or bring about a significant change. It's highly recommended that you use your voice This means attending peaceful protests uh, and writing letters to people in power, such as your local MP, urging for greater action to be taken to work towards achieving climate goals. Uh, There are many templates for this online, such as the one by the Hope for the Future organization. And uh, that's the uh, representative that uh, we spoke to earlier. And uh, um, our technician, Zishan, will be putting that uh, particular 
interview through uh, shortly so that we can share it with uh, our listeners. Uh, but while uh, we're waiting for that, let me just uh, press on uh, regarding the actions we can take uh, that are uh, are more environmental friendly. We can reduce the intake of meat and dairy uh, to reduce global methane emissions and increase consumption of local, locally grown uh, seasonal produce as it reduces carbon emissions from transportation, preservation, and prolonged re- 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 uh, re- refrigeration. Uh, we can take measures to use less energy at home. For example, switch to use uh, using LED light bulbs and energy-efficient electrical appliances and install better insulation in our homes to reduce the necessity of heating. If possible, it is also beneficial to switch to renewable resources of energy, such as wind and solar. Solar panels um, are also a great source of renewable energy and are considered cost-efficient. Uh, the insulation can reduce your carbon dioxide emissions by 1.5 tons a year. So <coughs> a big uh, impact. Cars are a large contributor to global greenhouse gas emissions. When possible, try and avoid making unnecessary journeys by car instead. Use public transport or cycling as a means of transport. So there's a lot that we can do individually. And if we more and more people join in uh, adopting these kinds of measures, then I'm sure that it will have a very positive impact uh, in addressing the uh, challenges that we have, uh, the concerns that we have regarding climate change. I'm still waiting for that uh, particular uh, recording to pop up on my screen. Uh, but while we're waiting, uh, is perhaps uh, Imam Jalis Khan can uh, enlighten us on the uh, Islamic aspect to this particular issue. Yes, absolutely. Um, I would like to start by saying I'd like to start by saying um, that Islam gives guidance on all social, economic, political, cultural and other substantial issues of life. And although climate change and environmental issues are contemporary, Islam has been tackling them before they became such a grave threat to our planet that they are now. Islam has been given us guidance on such matters for more than 1400 years. Muslims have a religious duty to safeguard the world's natural environment. You see, corruption of all kinds, including environmental corruption, such as industrial pollution, environmental damage and reckless exploitation and mismanagement of natural resources, is not appreciated by Allah. According to the Holy Quran, environmental conservation is both a religious duty as 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 well as a social duty. The exploitation of a particular natural resource is directly related to the accountability and maintenance of the resource. We see that Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has said that the world is sweet and green. And verily, Allah has appointed you as a representative and trustee over it. Islam has prohibited wastage of all natural resources and their excessive consumption. We see today that water scarcity and food shortages have become major problems due to our exploitative use of our planet's precious resources. 
This is something that Walid Sahib also mentioned, that in the Holy Quran it states, eat and drink but exceed not the bounds. Surely he does not love those who exceed the bounds. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has even stated further, said, don't, wait, don't waste water even if you, were, if you were by a running river. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has also understood the significance of trees in protecting the environment from climate change thousands of years ago. He always forbade his companions from destroying trees and laid great emphasis upon planting more. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has actually stated that there is none amongst you who plants a tree or sows seeds and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from it and that would be taken as an act of charity for him. Furthermore, his, um, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has stated, whoever plants a tree and watches it diligently until it ripens and bears fruit is rewarded. If we further, if we take it even further, something that we can all do um, to um, help the environment is um, not take uh, our, our cars for short distances. So as Muslims, we pray five times a day. And uh, as logic dictates that the most visited place for a Muslim during the day would be the mosque, as he would go to the mosque five times a day. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, he, he beautifully put that indeed the mosque is the most frequent place a Muslim visits. And he stated that there is a reward for those people who take one step towards the mosque. And each step you take towards the mosque is relative to a degree of reward. We see that the Holy Quran and the Sunnah of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, provide a guiding light to promote sustainable development. Allah the Almighty commands mankind to avoid causing mischief and wasting resources as these acts lead to degradation of the environment. The privilege of exploiting natural resources was given to the human race with the promise that it will not be damaged or destroyed. Thank you very much for that. Um, very um, illuminating uh, and useful information that you've given. Thank you. Um, we did speak to Adele Williams earlier, and I'm pleased to note that we have found that interview. Uh, now, Adele Williams uh, uh, works for an organization that uh, engages in peaceful uh, persuasion of those people in authority towards taking measures that will reduce the deleterious, uh, the damaging uh, effects, the, the damaging uh, actions that are taken that uh, cause uh, climate uh, um, problems with the environment, or difficulties with the environment, damaging the environment. So this is uh, the the um, uh, gist of our interview that we had. Good. I'm pleased to note that uh, we have Adele Williams on the line. She is uh, from Hope for the Future team. Uh, and excited, uh, I'm told, uh, to be helping people to have conversations about the climate with their elected representatives. Thank you very much for coming on, Adele. Uh, for the benefit, yes, for the benefit of our listeners, can you tell us about hope for the future? What is it, and what are its objectives? What are its values? Okay, so hope for the future was set up around ten years ago. 
and it was set up the clear aim of building bridges between um, people and their local representatives and to do that in a way that makes real change for the climate, change we need to see. And since then we've supported thousands of people across the country to engage with their local politicians and, and get their voices heard and care. Our values, um, we work um, with, with collaboratively, we're interested in justice, we're interested in sure that we're an inclusive organisation and we work in partnership with lots of different organisations and we work with hope, um, active hope um, and uh, we've been able to do some really effective work with some great partners. Okay, and um, how do you train individuals, how do you train people to voice their concerns about the climate? Well, we offer um, monthly free online training and the next one's on the 14th of November actually people could sign up on our website uh, we also partner with other organizations to offer specific training for their members and their campaigns um, and the training's really explaining the basics of the British political system in a way that um, is accessible and straightforward and also how to work effectively to influence your um, your local politician so that when you do have those conversations with them you're really making your voice count and making the difference you want to make mm -hmm. and uh, are you finding that a lot of people are interested you get a lot of recruits absolutely yeah absolutely both in terms of individuals coming along to our free online training and also um, partners who are interested in working with us on shared agendas Mm -hmm. And um, what are the main, I mean, what are the key policy themes that you have in mind uh, for this year in particular? And why, why are these important to you? Well, I've worked with lots of different partners and, you know, oft, often we will, um, you know, be, be led by, you know, their key goals. So whether it's World Wildlife Fund on the Save Our Wild Isles campaign or, um or a disability group we're working with at the moment about accessible cycling. Um, but we've, we're doing a lot of work as well around um, where the cost of living crisis meets the, um, you know, and people struggle to heat their homes at the same time as they're struggling to make ends meet, um, and how those issues link up with, you know, what we need to do in terms of harnessing our renewable energy um, and securing um, our own sustainable, clean electricity. So it's um, you know, a lot of linked agendas as well that really show that climate concerns are on everyone's mind, whether directly or kind of indirectly, through, you know, when they can't keep their homes warm and they're literally costing the earth to heat. Mm -hmm. And um, what about some of the events and campaigns that you engaged in, um, especially I've been told about low traffic future? What's that about? Yeah, we joined, um, we took part in an event uh, with the Low Traffic Future Alliance that is a campaign for better access to public transport um, and cities that are kind of livable, walkable um, and um, friendly to people. Mm. Uh, now, the climate crisis is a global issue um, and it's something that you're working on. Um, how how is this important to you? Can you say something about uh, the importance of the of the climate uh, crisis and what you're doing about it? We mainly work in the UK, but obviously, in doing that, we are 
address the global nature of the climate crisis because you know we're all um you know we're all uh, affected by it and um we you know we see the global impact of the climate crisis on the planet and on the people that live in it um and it's affecting um people in different ways and uh there's a lot of um disparity in the way you know obviously part, parts of the world that are really badly affected have often had a fairly limited role in creating the crisis so we're, we're very aware of that but we work in britain um and we do that in a way that gets uk politicians understanding the global impacts of climate change and sometimes you know, we talk about specific asks mm. or uh, you know say for example on um, international um, approaches to climate finance but also um, you know it, it's about thinking about sometimes when you have a conversation about the impacts here like the cost of living crisis it's helping people think differently about um, what is a global crisis that acts on people and the planet across the world in different ways but if we took action on renewable energy for example we would be helping people here and and mm. we'd also be of course addressing the climate crisis globally Hmm. I get the impression that um, you very much want to forward your views through influence and dialogue. You're not engaged in the kind of campaigns, aggressive campaigns that stop soil protests. Are like, you wouldn't be gluing yourself on bridges and stuff. Uh, is that correct? Have I got the right uh, impression of how Hope for the Future team is working? I've never been to a bridge, but <laughs> so um, I think I think Hope for the Future takes a different approach. But mm. you know, people want to um, take action on the climate crisis in lots of different ways. We are um, a really important and effective and proven route mm. to influence people who have got the power to make a difference. And you know, we're going to have a, we've got a general election coming up. And it's going to be really important that people have conversations with their local representatives, their potential local representatives, and you get people thinking about the climate, thinking about the action that we need to take, um, you know, as you mentioned, to address the global crisis, but mm. also to help people right now um, in, you know, in terms of the economy and the uh, impact we can make on, you know, people being able to live in warm homes without them costing the earth. Mm. What kind of success are you achieving and how do you measure your success? Well, we look at um, conversations with, um, when we have, a, when we, part of our training, we talk to people about how to shape um, specific asks with their, um, with their local representatives. And we know that our impact in terms of getting them to, you know, take action is, um, is you can see examples of success on our website and um, you know we are um, the fact that partners reach out to us because we've got a proven approach um, both in terms of the way that we train but also um, you know the, the way that um, we encourage people to mm. engage with their local politicians because people want you know people um, to have an effective conversation it needs to be um, respectful and you know that's the way that we work we help people make those conversations respectful, yes, of course, but also effective. And we're achieving the action that people want to see. Okay. And if any of our listeners uh, want to help or to join 
uh, your team? Uh, how, how did they go about doing so? So you can find us on Facebook and, uh, and Twitter, and you can also find us on our website, which is htft, uh, sorry, hftf.org.uk. Give that to me again, because I haven't been able to write it down, and I think some people may not have been able to do so either. What was it again? It's hftf.org.uk. HFTF. Dot org dot uk. Dot org dot uk. Oh, yes, that's very simple Hope to remember. Okay. Uh, uh, well, thank you very much for coming on. I wish you all the thank best you. in the future. Uh, very good work, I think, you're doing. So, hope you hope you do well. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Bye. Right. So, that was uh, Del Williams uh, uh, working uh, uh, through peaceful means in. Uh, bringing about change in uh, our approach to dealing with the environment. Um, um, I know uh, Imam Jalis has uh, something more to uh, add to uh, this uh, uh, discussion that we're having. Uh, Over to you, Imam Jalis. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, We see that according to Islam. Uh, This is something that I've actually mentioned before, but I would like to further emphasize on this point. That according to Islam, environmental conservation is both a religious duty as well as a social duty. So now I would like to quote something that our beloved um, beloved Huzur, His Holiness, uh, Mirza Masrur Ahmad, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmad, uh, may Allah strengthen his hand, uh, has said. So he says, and I quote, the climate change problem is an issue everywhere across the world, especially in the developing countries where the population is increasing in numbers without any proportion. Just to accommodate this population, residential areas are being increased and because of increasing residential areas, forests are also being cut down. The deforestation is also causing climate change. And then Hazur further states, whenever any tree is cut, you should plant two to replace it. Hazur has also mentioned that the climate change is a natural process which occurs, but man's actions have worked as a fan, speeding up the process. Now, just to touch upon uh, the the tree planting uh, point that our beloved Azur has mentioned, he has also said that so this is the youth association um, of our community, and Wakfina uh, no are the those people who have dedicated their lives um, for the sake of Islam and for the sake of Ahmadiyyat. And uh, he said that they should start a scheme for plantation of trees in the forest and different areas. Now, I would like to point out that um, this um, m- m- maybe this auxiliary department has not been mentioned here, but the Lajna, so that's the ladies um, of our community, um, they have actually reached 100 years of their um, auxiliary department existing. Um, and to celebrate this, what they did was they went out for um, tree planting campaigns. And this was seen all over the world, um, to, to, to take it from America, Canada and the UK as well. Um, I would like to also just on, on, on this note, repeat um, a few of the um, hadith or the sayings of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that I had previously mentioned regarding trees. Because they are, uh, as, as you said, they're illuminating. I actually did not know, um, <laughs> I, I, when I was doing my research, I actually did not know one of, um, a few of them actually existed, as, as in the, I came across them um, for the first time. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to repeat and, um, you know, obviously um, 
hopefully it'll be beneficial for the listeners as well. So the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him regarding trees, states that there is none amongst you who plants a tree or sows a seed and then a bird or a person or an animal eats from it, but that would be taken as an act of charity for him. And another place, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, has stated, sorry, he has stated that whoever plants a tree and watches it diligently until it ripens and bears fruit is rewarded. No, thank you. All right. Very informative. Um, um, we draw a lot of um, our um, guidance from the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. Absolutely. And it's not uh, out of place to actually share this particular clip with you regarding uh, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him's high moral qualities. And it is. Life of Muhammad, peace be upon him. High moral qualities. Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was always very patient in adversity. He was never discouraged by adverse circumstances, nor did he permit any personal desire to get a hold over him. It has been related that his father had died before his birth and his mother died while he was still a little child. Up to the age of eight, he was in the guardianship of his grandfather and after the latter's death, he was taken care of by his uncle, Abu Talib, both on account of natural affection and also because he had been specially admonished in that behalf by his father, Abu Talib always watched over his nephew with care and indulgence, but his wife was not affected by these considerations to the same degree. It often happened that she would distribute something among her own children, leaving out their little cousin. If Abu Talib chanced to come into the house on such an occasion, he would find his little nephew sitting apart, a perfect picture of dignity, and without a trace of sulkiness or grievance on his face. The uncle, yielding to the claims of affection, and recognizing his responsibility, would run to the nephew, clasp him to his bosom and cry out, Do pay attention to this child of mine also. Do pay attention to this child of mine also. Such incidents were not uncommon, and those who were witnesses to them were unanimous in their testimony that the young Muhammad, peace be upon him, never gave any indication that he was in any way affected by them, or that he was in any sense jealous of his cousins. Later in life, when he was in a position to do so, he took upon himself the care and upbringing of two of his uncle's sons, Ali, peace be upon him, and Jafir, peace be upon him, and discharged this responsibility in the most excellent manner. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, throughout his life had to encounter a succession of bitter experiences. He was born an orphan, his mother died while he was still a small child, and he lost his grandfather at the age of eight years. After marriage, he had to bear the loss of several children, one after the other, and then his beloved and devoted wife, Khadija, died. Some of the wives he married after Khadija's death died during his lifetime, and towards the close of his life, he had to bear the loss of his son, Ibrahim. He bore all these losses and calamities cheerfully, and none of them affected in the least degree either his high resolve or the urbanity of his disposition. His private sorrows never found vent in public, and he always met everybody with a benign countenance and treated all alike with uniform benevolence. On one occasion, he observed a woman who had lost a child, occupied in loud mourning, over her child's grave. He admonished her to be patient and to accept God's will as supreme. The woman did not know that she was being addressed by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and replied, If you had ever suffered the loss of a child as I have, you would have realized how difficult 
it is to be patient under such an affliction. The Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, observed, I have suffered the loss not of one but of seven children, and passed on, except when he referred to his own losses or misfortunes in this indirect manner, he never cared to dwell upon them, nor did he permit them in any manner to interfere with his unceasing service to mankind and his cheerful sharing of their burdens. So that was just a reminder of the high moral qualities of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, from whom uh, we have uh, benefited uh, so much uh, over the years uh, and continue to do so. We were discussing the issue of the environment uh, in this part of the program and uh, His Holiness had uh, this uh, to say regarding this uh, particular topic when asked uh, about it in a student's uh, uh, session, in a session with students uh, that he had. My question is, many people are worried about climate change recently. What is Islam's take on climate change and is there any advice for people at home? <laughs> you see, Allah Ta'ala says that excess of everything is bad. Right? Although, you see, whatever the climate change is because of the industrial revolution, too much uh, smoke is being sent on in the air, air is being polluted. This is why it is one of the causes of the climate changes. Secondly, the, the, the trees are being cut and uh, no new forestation is being done, in the, especially in the third world countries, right? Although the population is increasing, but if we have proper plans, we can make we can accommodate the population in such a way that uh, within the limited area of the land we can accommodate as many people as possible, right? And infrastructure should be provided according to that, okay? So if we are not following the, you need, the what law of nature requires from us, then the ultimate result will be that we are going to ruin our future. We are going to doom ourselves or our generation. So the the best way is that uh, instead of the the greed or involving too much involving ourselves too much in in the in the the comfort of the world and by creating so much of gadgets and and you see without any you know proper planning increase our production and because of the competition as China is doing, and India is doing, or America is doing, now China, China says that because America started this 
pollution of the climate pollution some hundred years ago. So this is why they have advanced themselves. Now we have started it now and we shall take again next hundred years before we stop. So every country have their own vested interests. They are not uh, thinking of their future, about their future generation. Right? So the best thing is that apart from making proper planning, that uh, how much fuel emission should be done or how can we control it alongside it, we should encourage and even force the third world countries to plant more trees so their, uh, the air pollution becomes less. And in this way, it will help us to reduce the climate change. Right, so that was His Holiness, His Amisa Musroor Ahmad, the head of the Amdi Muslim community, uh, giving his views on this particular topic about uh, our responsibilities concerning uh, climate change uh, and the climate crisis and where we're going wrong. Um, and it brings us nicely to the conclusion of uh, the formal part of this broadcast, this particular program. Uh, it means that uh, we now have to turn to those people we need to thank for uh, the, their contribution in uh, preparing this particular uh, program. Uh, our producer, uh, Eamon Usman, is worthy of her gratitude, as are her researchers, um, uh, Maharuchala Ahmed uh, and Hannah Ahmed, are uh, worthy of her thanks. Um, and so are our engineers uh, who were making sure that everything ran smooth, uh, smoothly as far as the technical side of the broadcast is concerned. So Zeeshan uh, Arshad, Zakalaf to him, and to Akiba Medanan also uh, for um, his contribution in this respect. Thank you to him as well. Um, and we did have uh, quite a few challenges which they were able to navigate through very, very successfully too. So well done to them and thank you to them. Um, we should also not uh, forget uh, the people who came on to the show uh, to help us uh, understand the subjects that we were covering that much better. Uh, Mr. Yusuf Athab, he's uh, the uh, president of one of our branches in Huddersfield North in particular and also the Director of Disaster Relief and Fundraising at Humanity First. So he came on to the show and uh, spoke uh, to us on the first subjects that we were discussing in depth regarding Halloween and uh, also uh, had the opportunity to appraise us of the wonderful work that uh, Humanity First is doing in uh, helping those people who are in need through food banks and the like. Uh, and much of this work, uh, in fact all of it, is being undertaken by volunteers, which is very, very impressive. Um, so that was uh, uh, Mr. Yusuf Athab uh, who came on, so thank you to him. And we also had this conversation with Adele Williams, uh, we had trouble in uh, finding the recording for that, but um, thank you to our engineers, they were able to locate it, and we were able to share that. Now, Adele Williams is um, a part of an organization that 
it uh, helps people to have conversations about the climate with the elected representatives uh, and the organization she belongs to is Hope for the Future. So she came on the show, uh, show um, uh, through that recording and helped us uh, understand how best we could perhaps uh, tackle co-anxiety uh, and uh, the measures that can be taken, peaceful measures rather than aggressive measures that are engaged in by some uh, some people who are equally worried about climate change. I'm thinking particularly about Stop Oil and other campaigners who tend to glue themselves on roads and uh, bridges in order to uh, make people aware of the crisis that we're in, something that uh, is not undertaken by, by Adele Williams and her organization. They uh, have a more subtle way of uh, addressing this particular problem and this particular challenge by persuading, talking uh, to people who are our elected representatives or people of influence. Um, so that was a useful conversation that we had there that we were able to share. And finally, uh, let me also thank uh, our listeners for staying with us uh, through the course of this broadcast. Uh, please do join us uh, and continue to join us on The Breakfast Show. The Breakfast Show runs from Monday to Friday. It runs from 7 to 9 o'clock every weekday. Um, I will not be uh, uh, presenting next week. It will be uh, my colleague, Tokit and Weir, Imam Tokit and Weir, and Jalees Khan will be presenting. Um, and uh, uh, until then, it's uh, Salaam Alaikum from me and Salaam Alaikum from Imam Jalees Khan. Uh, do join, as I said again, uh, on The Breakfast Show on Monday from 7 to 9 o'clock.